Welcome to another inspirational message from Elam Church, Christchurch City. For more information and great content, jump over to our website at elamchurchchristchurchcity.org. We hope you enjoy this message. The first part in our Easter series. If that snuck up on you, you're not alone. Easter is coming. It's only just a few weeks away. And uh, my goal to share with you today is a message called Out of Our Box. Out of Our Box. Well, I'm not sure um, if you've been around kids recently. I'm around kids a lot. We've got uh, three boys. Uh, Joel, he's our eldest. He's five. We've got Hudson, who's, uh, who's, who's three. And we've got another lively lad on the way, just a few weeks off joining us. And uh, so I've had five years of raising boys. And here's what I've noticed about kids is they try to, uh, they try to grab you and they try to force you, uh, their agenda on you, on the kind of parent they would like you to be as opposed to the kind of parent you actually are. They're always trying to tell you and force you into their kind of box. Here's what I mean. Well, often we'll just be driving past Cobb and Co and Joel will classic literally two or three times a week say, Dad, can you take me for lunch to Cobb and Co? Just because I did it once doesn't mean I'm going to do it every single week. He's trying to force me into the Cobb and Co uh, dad box. In fact, just the other day, just yesterday morning, he said to me, Dad, Dad, I want you to spoil me. I want you to spoil me. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, granddad spoils me. Uh, I, want, I want to have a spoil me kind of dad. And to that, I brought just the swift reality of parenting. Sorry, son. That might be your agenda. It is not my agenda. Uh, I am not that kind of father. There's also the read me 20 stories, dad. They're always trying to get you into that box. They're saying, it starts off subtly. They say things like, oh, uh, Uncle Matt reads us five stories when he babysits us. So, Sorry, son, I am a one-story dad. That's what I say. I always tell them I'm a one-story dad. Oh, my other friends, they're like, their parents are five-story dads. Sorry, son, the reality of who I am, I am a one-story dad. And on and on it goes between uh, the struggle between parents and, uh, and, and their children or even grandparents and their children. And partly, I think, this kind of pushing of their agenda on you is to, is to fully understand exactly how far they might be able to go with something, just to fully understand who you are. But partly as well, I think they're just pushing a selfish agenda on you and trying to get you to do what they'd like to do. But that kind of understanding is very similar to the uh, type of behavior we see between humans and our Father God. And so I've got this box here. I've got this box. And the thing I love about boxes, and in fact, the thing we all love about boxes, we know exactly what their dimensions are. You can pull out a measuring tape and you can measure this box and then you can go into your garage and you think, oh, my garage is the kind of garage that might be able to fit 15 of these boxes stacked on top of each other. When you're putting things into this box, you can know exactly what that, uh, that things go into that box. You can even put labels. And so you know exactly what goes into that box. We put all kinds of things in boxes. We put people in boxes. We put ideas in boxes. We actually also can be tempted to put God in that same box. 
We can put Jesus in this box. We can put God in this box. And what we're doing is we're saying, uh, partly out of an attempt to want to understand fully who this person or who God, who Jesus is, but partly out of a selfish desire to want to create Jesus as we would like him, not as he exactly, truthfully, currently exists. We say to ourselves when we put Jesus in the box, I now understand exactly what Jesus is like. I can measure him. I can touch him. I can give him parameters for what he's allowed to do and what he's not allowed to do. We often put Jesus in the box. But the problem to relating to God in that way is this, is that uh, when we find ourselves um, uh, coming up against the truth that does not fit in our box, we are not prepared to handle that truth because it does not exist within our pre-established framework. It can be so hard to, to, to think about a God out of the box. This type of struggle is exactly the struggle of the nation of Israel faced when Jesus came from heaven to earth to show us who he was. They weren't ready for that kind of God. They weren't ready for that kind of uh, representation of who he is. In the Easter story, that is the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we read some powerful moments where God is busting open people's understandings, busting open people's religious boxes, busting open their, their revelation that they've received of the past with fresh revelation. And what he's saying is, you've built for me a box that is not able to contain who I am. My character cannot be contained by your thinking. My character cannot be contained by, uh, by your religious practices. I am breaking out of this box. And 2,000 years later, God is still trying to break out of the boxes that we place Him in. The Easter story gives us a few moments where we see God breaking out of the boxes that we have created and I want to share three of these with you this morning. And as part of, partly to help us worship Jesus as He actually is. You know, it's been said that, that God created us in His own image. And ever since, we've been trying to create Him in ours. You know, it's been said that we often are trying to force God to be more of the kind of God that we would like rather than actually who He is. But the true heart of worship, Jesus says, there's a time coming when people will worship me, not on this mountain, but they'll worship me in uh, spirit and in truth. We need to worship Jesus in truth as He actually is. And so in the Easter story, there are moments where we see this happening. And this is the first one I want to share with you today. That moment where there was a crown of thorns. There was a crown of thorns. You know, at the start of the Gospel of Matthew, we read that Jesus was in this kingly line to inherit uh, the, the throne from his ancestor, King David. He was standing in line to inherit the throne, which was prophesied to keep on going forever and ever and ever. If you've watched The Lord of the Rings, it's a little like the character Strider, who's not yet a king, but he carries the blood in his veins to rule uh, the nation of men. And he, whether he knows it, whether he likes it or not, he is in line for the throne. And same with Jesus in this moment. He holds the right to the throne. And so when Jesus, who is in line to inherit, inherit the throne of Israel, starts healing people, 
When people start seeing that God is on the move, when people start seeing that, that God is with them, that God has anointed them, everyone starts wondering, when will this guy be crowned king? When will the kingdom come? And so it comes as a shock. It comes as a shock when King Jesus' coronation in the Easter story looks like this. This is what it says in Matthew 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. And then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews! They said. Can you see the contrast in that statement? In those words? There's a crown in the story, but it isn't a golden one that speaks of uh, inherited riches, that speaks of power. It is a crown of thorns, a crown that speaks of suffering. You see, when you and I generally experience weakness in our lives and in the lives of people around us, we generally see it as a negative thing. We don't want to be weak. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to have to feel like we need to rely on the strength of other people. I, I want, like you want, to have enough strength on our own, to have enough internal resources to be independent. But in Christ, there's a different way of thinking. In Christ, the power of God is made perfect in weakness. The power of God is made perfect in weakness. The crown of thorns speaks of a kingdom that is not like our kingdom. You might be there and you might say, uh, in this coronation moment, Lord, I'm there and I was expecting the glory, but all I could see were these thorns. I was expecting glory, but all I got were these thorns. In your own life, you might say, God, I was expecting position in life, but all I got was just a chance to serve. You might say, oh God, I was expecting provision in my life, but all I got was a chance to join a prayer group. I want to tell you today, church, the things and the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ is sometimes not visible in the way we would like it to be. In Christ, the power of God is made perfect in weakness. In Christ, the healing, the provision, the encouragement, the salvation of God is made perfect in your life when you have nothing else to depend on. It was a crown of thorns. When you're placed in a situation, whether it's a struggle with your finances or whether it's in a relationship, whether it's a struggle in your employment, when there is no human solution as far as you can see, you can know that God's strength and power comes through moments of our weakness. Come on, for right where you're at, would you just take this moment just to lift up a shout of praise to Jesus as He currently is? Come on, right where you're at, in your own home, lift up a shout of praise. He was crowned the King of glory. Come on, somebody. He was crowned the everlasting Lord. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Give some praise to Jesus right where you're at, for He allowed suffering to be His coronation. And for all eternity, we give praise to the Lamb who was slain. Let's lift up a God who allowed Himself to be crowned King with the crown of thorns. It was a crown of thorns. A second moment of contrast where Jesus breaks out of our box in the Easter story that I need you to get today is this. He was lifted up 
on a cross. He was lifted up on a cross. In John 12, verse 32, Jesus is talking about himself when he says this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this, this is what John says, to show the kind of death he was going to die. Do you know in Greek, the the translation of lifted up means to exalt? To exalt, to raise into a high position of power, which in our minds is great. Some people are here saying, yeah, I want to be lifted up. I've got some position in my life that I would love to be lifted up to. We know that Jesus was lifted up, exalted, son of man, coming on the clouds of heaven. But John does not allow us to dwell with that form of glory. He challenges us with this next statement. He says his glory is not going to look what you think. It's not going to look like what you think. He said this, scriptures say, to show the kind of death he was going to die. Jesus would be glorified through crucifixion. I don't know if I should confess to this to you right now, but I love Bruce Springsteen. I love Bruce Springsteen. I think he's a poet. Uh, he's powerful, powerful lyrics. He has got a song called Glory Days. I don't know if you know it. goes, oh, glory days. That's it. That's it. I, I love that song. And the glory days that Bruce Springsteen talks about is the days when everything was great. When that sports team just kept on winning and the Warriors have won two in a row. And so um, Pastor New is luring me over to that side, uh, inspiring me to believe in faith that the glory days for that group are still ahead. The glory days are maybe when, uh, when you're young and in love and, and you're still starry-eyed. You can believe that your partner could do nothing wrong. Those were the glory days that Bruce Springsteen talks about. But in God's way of living, the glory days are not when we have it all together. The glory days are when it all looks like it is falling apart and all we have is the power of God to work on our behalf. In those moments, God is glorified. I came to tell you today, church, that Good Friday was a glory day. It was a glory day. It was a day when the Son of Man was lifted up for all to see. And although the devil looked like he had won, he was simply playing into the hands of our Father God. It was a glory day where my sin was taken off me and it was placed on Him so that I might live in freedom. It was a glory day. It's in those moments of desperation. Doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel pleasant, but it's desperation. It's in those moments of desperation that God moves in your life powerfully through your prayer life. It's in those moments where He's where uh, he works in your life to build resilience, to build patience in the struggle, to build uh, faith in your life, to keep pressing on even though it's hard. It's in those glory days where the struggle really hits that people are watching your life. Everyone knows how to live when life is great, but people start watching your life when it's not because everybody needs to know how do we handle ourselves when life is in the dark days. It's in those moments that God uses your life to speak to those family members you've been praying so hard for for so long. Those are the glory days. You know, during the winter season, fruit trees may lose their leaves, but that does not mean they're dying, and it does not mean uh, that there will not be future fruiting seasons. doesn't mean they're losing ground. 
It means that the fruit trees are simply preparing for and sowing into the next harvest season. The cross reminds us that there is significance and legacy in your moments of pain. I feel like some people are going to hear that right now and you're going through something uh, horrible and tragic and you don't know where to turn next. I want to tell you that the legacy that you are leaving, you have no idea just how significant it will be. I believe you will get to heaven. You'll walk through those gates and somebody or a whole group of people will run up to you and they will say, when you showed grace in the struggle, when you showed that there was strength that was not your own, that moment is the reason I'm here in heaven today. There is a legacy that you leave because you allow yourself to be lifted up. Jesus was lifted up on the cross. Thirdly, Another moment, Jesus is on the cross. And this is a moment which breaks all our preconceptions of what strength and what legacy means. Jesus is getting out of the box. And what we see is that as a servant, he saved. As a servant, he saved. This is what it says in, in Matthew 27, verse 39. Those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying, you, you who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down off that cross if you are the son of God. In the same way that chief priests and teachers of the law, they mocked him saying he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down off the cross. And we will believe in him. Jesus in this moment looks a whole lot less like a superhero and more just like a slave or a servant. He saved others, they joked, but he can't save himself. In an ironic way, they're absolutely right. He did save others because he chose not to save himself. If he chose to save himself, that would mean that he couldn't save others. He chose to serve, and in serving, saved. The point I want to draw out today is that in our culture, and, and probably for all time, to be honest, we, we love the superhero figures. The ones who swoop in at the last minute to save the day, and, and because of their heroic actions, they receive fame and recognition, and public opinion glorifies them as leaders and heroes of the city. But that is not our Jesus. Jesus saves by becoming a servant. He lowered himself from his heavenly position to come and take the form of a slave to those he created. Now, this just messes with our order of things. This just messes with all our categories. And we mostly face this challenge, me and you, when we're called to serve other people and we find it a humbling and painful experience. If you have ever experienced that, you can know that you are following a Jesus who served. And because he served, he left a profound legacy. For us as a church, we realize that in order to participate in the ministry of Jesus, we need to serve like he served. And so on the dream team, we focus on serving. We try and serve people. 
We try and serve people uh, with their needs and where they're at. We try and bring joy and celebration to people on Sunday morning and other mornings and afternoons of the week as well. And we do that because Jesus saved others, not from a demonstration of talent or worldly power or strength, but by taking the form of a servant. And that's why on the dream team, we say that we're here to make a difference through serving. You might think to yourself, well, Pete, I'm just, a, I'm just a whatever. Maybe I'm just a musician or I'm just a door greeter. I'm just a youth leader or I'm just a volunteer at the local op shop. No, that's not true. You're not just that. You're a servant of God. You're a servant of God. In God's economy, those who serve, they also bring about revelation of the love of God. That's an encouragement to someone right now. You've been serving. And I want to tell you, it's not just serving. It's about revelation of the love of Jesus. Uh, You're also bringing about reconciliation with God. Those who serve impact the community. Those who serve make a difference in the world. Jesus changed the world by serving as a slave. The cross tells us we do not need to aspire to worldly wealth or position in order to make a difference. But like Christ who went before us, we're called to serve in order to save. As we close this morning and the keys come, I want to just share with you something that one author wrote about the life of legacy of Jesus. He put it like this. Speaking about Jesus, he said, He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city. He never even traveled 200 miles away from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. When he was only 33, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a fake trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, which were the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, they placed him in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. In the 20 centuries that have come and gone, we stand here today with Jesus Christ as the central figure of the human race. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all of the ships that ever sailed, all of the parliaments from every nation that have ever sat, all of the kings that have ever reigned, all put together, have not affected the human race on this earth as much as the one solitary life of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He left a legacy. He got out of the box and He changed the world. If every one of us here would say, you know what, I'm no longer going to try and box in Jesus. I'm going to, Embrace Him for the reality of who He is. I'm going to take Him with me into the workplace, into the home, into the gym, into the cafes. And and as we all set to do that, it might not look visibly impressive at first, but if you faithfully serve, you'll find that you'll see families confront and deal with pain as they create an atmosphere of grace and forgiveness. 
what you'd find is that hope would even shine in the darkest places. Hope that out of suffering can come healing and wholeness. What you'd find is that lost family members would find that God knew them all along. God knew where they were and they would come back into a relationship with Him. What we would find if we would embrace the Jesus as He actually is, is that we would see revival in our homes, in our workplaces and in our community. This has been another great message from Elam Church, Christchurch City. For more content and updates, come see us on our Facebook page or jump over to our website. Thanks so much for listening.